Hello and welcome to MI ECB Speak podcast. I am Santi Pignol in Rome, and with me today is former Federal Reserve and European Central Bank economist Ricardo Trezzi. Ricardo worked on the inflation desk of the Federal Reserve Board of Members, where he regularly briefed board members, and then he joined the inflation desk of the ECB in Frankfurt, where he contributed to the ECB strategy review. Nowadays, he is the founder and head of the consultancy firm underlying inflation and is here with us today to discuss your area inflation and its labor market, a topic that I know that you're an expert on. Ricardo, welcome to the podcast. Hello, welcome and thank you very much for having me. Well, we'll, we'll start with the European inflation. I wanted to ask you, how do you see the inflation in the euro area and why do you think if we are pro uh, approaching to the levels that the ECB would be comfortable with? There is the, this big difference between what the market is pricing for cuts and what the ECB is officially communicating. Yeah, well, I mean, in general, markets are always a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, so that's the part of the game. Uh, but you're right. Um, so what we've seen in recent months, uh, it was a couple of uh, pleasant downward surprises, um, both in headline um, HICB, so in headline inflation and in the more persistent part of inflation, which is what we call core inflation, so excluding the volatile items uh, such as food and energy prices. Uh, overall, um, I think uh, we are heading in the right direction. There is little doubt about this, um, uh, but once you really look into the data, uh, I think it makes sense uh, the latest forecast uh, of the ECB and the National Central Bank staff. Uh, and they are projecting essentially uh, moderate inflation going forward, but there is a um, question mark whether we can uh, go back to target and stay at the target. And it's very important to go back to 2%, not below, but not even uh, above 2%, and remaining around 2% uh, in the medium term, so in the next two to three years. And right now, I think uh, we have excluded, we can exclude the inflation disaster risks that uh, it was really a possibility back in 2021 or 2022. Uh, the labor market and economic activity is uh, remain way more resilient than most people anticipated. And the pleasant surprise is in any case that we have disinflated and we can disinflate probably even further going, uh, going, uh, going further. But again, uh, before the ECB can change really tone and open the gates to several cuts, then they really have to have some form of confirmation from the models, some form of statistical evidence that, that we can go down to 2% and remain at 2%. Uh, personally speaking, I don't really expect you know any change or in language or tone. Uh, for instance, at the January meeting, that's way too early. But when you look at March, uh, if the downward surprises they will continue, uh, then there is a discrete chance that uh, uh, this week can sound more dovish uh, than uh, than December. Where do you see that this confirmation of the signals can be? Because we interviewed uh, the governor of the Bank of Portugal in December, Mario Centeno, who said that the ECB could discuss about the criteria and the timings for a rate cut already in January. And how do you think that this criteria should be? Also, we ran an article saying the ECB should have to start talking about rate cuts when 
core inflation it's below three percent yeah i think it makes sense uh, um, so the first of all the, the type of cuts that we are talking about in any case uh, are what, what in the US they are generally referred to as mid-cycle cuts, <laughs> meaning that they're not cutting rates because the economy is in a recession. Um, they're cutting rates simply because uh, the their mandate, which used to be a big problem, so the price stability is now sending uh, more normal signals in a sense. And so they, they would be cutting rates back to neutral. Okay, but not below neutral. So something like from the current 4%, maybe to 2.5% or so, so 150 basis points of cuts, but not more than that, because you would cut more uh, just in case uh, the economy would enter into a recession, but we don't really have uh, still uh, big signals of, of recession, and maybe we can talk about this uh, uh, later on. Um, so in this sense, uh, yes, I think it is crucial, first of all, that the uh, forecast, uh, uh, they converge back to target and uh, we have to wait until March at least because in January we will not have fresh uh, uh, forecasts for, for the euro area. Um, and then there is always a question mark about uh, uh, are you look, really looking at, at the forecast or are you looking more at the incoming data and where is the year over year of core HICP? And I think, uh, as you mentioned, uh, cutting rates with core HICP above 3% uh, uh, probably is not going to happen because it's too risky in a sense. Um, and of course, you can look at the margin, you can look at the three months or three month changes or something like this, and the monthly variations, the annual rate, something like that. Uh, but, but overall, I think that one of the preconditions uh, will be uh, certainly core HICP year over year below 3% and the forecast uh, uh, converging to 2% with um, um, the, the variations at the margin. So again, the monthly variations or the three month or three month changes in line with target. We are not too far away from that, by the way. <laughs> uh, we just probably need a few more months of data. Okay, following up with your with your answers, I wanted to ask you, do you expect any sort of communication in January? And then, so this big difference between market cut, uh, market pricing of rate cuts and what the ECB is communicating, do you think this is a lack of credibility by the market or it's because the ECB did a, a good job and basically the market thinks that the job is done? Yeah, no, I think it's the, uh, the latter in a sense. And, um, you know, when, when markets, they, they understand that uh, uh, something has changed, <laughs> in this case for the good, <laughs> um, then they always uh, go ahead of the curve and they try to anticipate because that's, that's the way in which you make money it's basically trying to be ahead of everyone else um, and in this sense uh, um, markets they seems to be on board with the idea that uh, uh, again the, the inflation risk the big inflation risk is behind the curve again there is a little bit of a question mark whether again we can really reach to two percent so therefore the the long end of the curve uh, uh, remains uh, pretty elevated and until we will have confirmation that we can really go back to target and stay at target, unfortunately, long-end uh, long rates, um, probably speaking, they're not going to uh, drop <laughs> a lot. Uh, they're going to remain um, uh, pretty elevated. Um, in a sense, I mean, I think uh, we have to be clear, 
you know, before COVID, we were in an economy which was de- somehow depressed. So nobody wants to go back to, to that equilibrium. Uh, and in that equilibrium, the rates uh, at old maturities, they were pretty depressed, okay, very, very low. Uh, we want to stay about that, okay? We want to be, we want to have an economy which uh, uh, runs a little bit hotter, which is a little bit more dynamic, in which the inflation rate is persistently higher than, than, than what it was before COVID and around target, maybe. And therefore, also, the, the rates, uh, they will remain, uh, hopefully, uh, uh, more elevated than, than pre-COVID. Uh, but so, just to answer your question, I think uh, Marcus did get it right. <laughs> uh, I don't think that Lagarde in, in January will simply go out and say we're cutting rates or we're thinking about cutting rates or we're discussing or we have discussed and this is what we have discussed. I think that would be much more prudent because if you do it uh, when, 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 when the job is not done um, and when you still have question marks, you're taking a very big risk. Mm-hmm. And the very big risk would be somehow justified by uh, very bad data on the economic activity front and the labor market front. Uh, again, we we have question marks there too, if you look at Germany, for instance, uh, and, and other countries. But overall, as I mentioned, um, the economic activity and the labor market is way more resilient than what most people expected. Therefore, probably speaking, it still, you know, calls for some cautious, uh, especially in the general meeting. Then in March, it can be a completely different story. That's a perfect answer because it allows me to switch to the other topic, which is the labor market and the economic activity. My question is that we saw a record low in unemployment in November, but on Wednesday, uh, Vice President Luis de Guindos said that there are signs that the European labor market is cooling from record levels and he said that the total of uh, work hours are now declining since for the first time since 2020 so how is the labor market is that resilient do you share these like cooling off signals we have to i mean let's let's first of all talk about the big picture hmm? and then we talk about what's what's happening at the margin so in the last few months so if we just look at you know the history of the labor market in in Italy, in Spain, even in the UK, also outside the Euro area, just our neighbors uh, here in Switzerland, uh, so everywhere in Europe generally, um, in the Euro area. Uh, so the last two years, so 2022 and 2023, we had lots of issues, of course, because of the natural gas shock, because of high inflation. But at the, lab- at the same time, the labor market was just breaking one record after another record in terms of total employment or lower unemployment rate or number of vacancies, for instance. So we saw lots and lots of demand for labor and also some issues with the supply of labor. So we are missing workers everywhere you look at for different reasons. Demographic trends are kicking in. Uh, COVID was an acceleration of these demographic trends and uh, somehow some early retirements in some countries and missing uh, uh, movements, missing migrations, for instance. So uh, we, we, we are coming out from two years, two, three years of an extremely tight 
an extremely uh, vibrant labor market um, uh, and, and record employment. Um, there is also a question mark, by the way, why, uh, I mean, whether, whether economic activity itself, especially in some countries, so GDP, could be uh, underestimated uh, for 2022 and 2023, and it was in fact underestimated in 2021, and, and we got uh, significant upward revisions uh, in the GDP numbers uh, uh, a couple of months ago. So you take that, and uh, of course, you know, because of the problem that we had with inflation, then we had to implement uh, an aggressive monetary policy. And now we are starting to see uh, some form of softness <laughs> in hiring, uh, some pullback in, uh, in the number of vacancies, for instance. Um, but overall, I mean, it, it is, or it would be very, very surprising to keep uh, adding the same number of jobs that we had in the last two years going forward for a simple reason, because we are, you know, we have reached a point in which it is very difficult to find workers uh, to hire in, in most countries. And, and therefore, either you have an additional supply of, of workers, and typically uh, it comes from migrations at this point, and we saw that, for instance, in the US, or uh, the labor market slows down in a sense. <laughs> and so you see the number of vacancies coming down and maybe hiring uh, slowing down. Now, is that a signal that we are going to have a recession, uh, an imminent recession or a big recession? And unfortunately here, I mean, I would like to, to tell you that, you know, I have a crystal ball and I know what's going to happen, but that nobody does. And so, <laughs> Uh, I'm very cautious, so at some point we will have a recession, unfortunately, because, you know, the economy goes by cycles, up and down, up and down, it's like life. But can I really put my money and, and, and bet that we're going to have a big recession in the next six months or so, in the next year? Uh, household balance sheets are still strong in the euro area and in other countries. Uh, so maybe we're, we're talking about a low growth environment. That's, that's very much possible, uh, like the one that we had basically in 2023. But a recession, uh, always very, very complicated for me to, to, to forecast it. Vice President De Guindos said that it was possible with the soft data indicators that a recession could be ha could happen in the, in the last part of, the, of 2023, but we'll need yeah. to confirm those, those data. No, no, absolutely. Uh, about the, the soft indicator, though, um, I, I recently talked also to, to some former colleagues because uh, in Central Bank, because uh, I think there is some, some research that we have to carry out. <laughs> and the reason is because in the last couple of years, uh, there has been a disconnection, uh, not only between the labor market and GDP data in some countries, but also between soft data and the hard data. Uh, and uh, the, the, the soft data in some countries, uh, they really sent uh, uh, recessionary signals. But the recession, as I mentioned, never really materialized. In fact, uh, we, the labor market kept breaking records after records. Um, so, in other words, we had positive false signals uh, from the, the soft data uh, in the US, but also somehow in the euro area.
And there are possible reasons why this has happened. COVID was an incredible shock and, and it generated lots of misallocation across sectors. So maybe the signals that you get in one sector are more than compensated in other sectors. Maybe also for the PMIs and uh, the ISM, maybe the real threshold is not at 50. Um, I think, you know, we have carried out some research our, ourselves and, and it seems to us that the, the real threshold is below 50. So when, when, when the ISM uh, prints at, you know, 48 or 49, not necessarily you have a recession. So um, all of this to say that, yeah, it is possible, of course, as usual, that we are going to have a recession. Uh, but what type of recession, by the way, is also a very big question mark. Maybe it's, maybe it's a very mild one. Uh, unfortunately, we, we don't know. Okay. Finishing with the economic activity, um, what would be the, the growth argument for 2024? Because we see that some uh, governments have like published some forecasts for 2024 and institutions think that they are optimistic. What's the growth argument for 2024? Uh, well, okay, so uh, for growth, I, I think uh, that in any case we're talking about uh, a kind of a low growth environment, uh, not necessarily a high growth environment. I think there are a couple of reasons. Uh, first of all, it's because uh, after a period of uh, anemic growth, uh, even the base from which you calculate the, the percent change is very low. <laughs> and so you need just a tiny uh, rebound in economic activity to, to show up in the statistics as, as growth. Um, the second one is, in any case, that uh, wages are, are catching up. And, uh, uh, so far in Europe, and this has been a very big difference compared to the, to the States, the compensation per employee, so on average, uh, the single worker has lost purchasing power. Mm -hmm. So there is still some catching up to be done. Uh, so some contracts, uh, especially in some countries, or in fact, lots of contracts in some countries, they still have to be renewed and catch up with the price level. Uh, so in other words, inflation still needs to be uh, compensated uh, to workers. And, and so there is possible, I mean, I, I don't know when exactly that is going to happen. It will happen at some point, but we don't know exactly when. And that's uh, possibly a source of uh, aggregate demand shock going forward. But it's true that when you put everything together, you have that internally most countries that will need to implement some sort of fiscal consolidation <laughs> uh, after years of easy money and easy spending on the fiscal side and the external environment is not going to be as brilliant as it used uh, to be uh, uh, back in the days. A final question. You talk about how the pandemic changed the labor market and I wanted to ask you how the pandemic have affected also with the energy crisis, the pandemic, um, the neutral rate in the Eurozone. Do you think it has changed and where is it? And following this question, you work in the strategy review. Uh, there were voices there that were pushing for to uh, set up the inflation target higher than 2%. And do you think would have been now looking backwards uh, a good move? Okay, so let me start from, uh, uh, from the latter. Uh, so yes, definitely, uh, there was a discussion about that. Um, both at the Fed and the ECB, 
but uh, uh, it in both cases, uh, the central banks, they had issues in, in reaching targets. Uh, of course, the problem was more dramatic for the ECB than the Fed. And so it sounded like uh, the wrong way of maybe addressing the issue. <laughs> and I think uh, it will come back to the discussion. Um, but first, now we are approaching from, from above, not from below. So now we need to reach target and stay at target for some time. And then we can have that discussion. And in fact, I mean, personally speaking, I had no mantra of 2%. <laughs> we can go for a higher rate, for a higher, um, for a higher target. Um, as usual, there, is, there are some trade-offs. So there is a marginal benefit, and there are also some a marginal costs, especially for countries uh, with uh, maybe uh, high debt-to-GDP ratios. So you have to be careful in a sense. But we can definitely discuss that. So, what was the first question? The first so, question uh, is how the pandemic and the energy crisis oh, have yeah, changed the uh, neutral rate. The R-star question. Uh, so, <laughs> um, for, for our clients, so for instance, uh, we recently reviewed the R-star literature and also the R-star models, how they work and how you estimate R-star uh, in a statistical sense. And it, I think uh, it is fair to say that uh, the, the risks are definitely to the upside uh, compared to the pre-pandemic. So if, if we really had to bet, I would still bet that, if anything, our star has gone up uh, compared to the pre-pandemic. Having said that, that the estimates of, of our star are extremely uncertain, uh, subject to large revisions uh, uh, exposed. In the case of the US, uh, you know, the models, they say anything in between 1% and 2%, so maybe 1.5% right now is a possible estimate of, of R star. In the case of the euro area, generally speaking, there is a 1%-ish gap uh, in the star uh, between the euro area and the US. And so something in between, I don't know, half a percentage point to 1%, something like this. Uh, but, you know, going forward, I think, uh, as usual, we really have to, when, when, you, when you start thinking about our star, then, then you, you, you have to carefully think about productivity and structural growth and the demographics and the savings club and, and all of that. Um, so it is possible that something has changed because, again, as I mentioned, COVID was an accelerator of some demographic trends uh, and, and, and some other dimensions. But only time will tell, honestly speaking. Ricardo, thank you very much for being with us in, in the program. And it was a pleasure, a pleasure to have you. Yes, Santi, thank you very much for having me.